There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Because when I'm in my shame and when I'm in my disease and when I'm in my fog of addiction, I don't know what's going on. Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. everyone and welcome back onto the podcast today with me. I hope whatever you're doing right this very second, you're able to take a few deep breaths and relax and you're able to listen into this next episode on the podcast. I know for me over the last few weeks, it's actually been very difficult to take a breath. Uh, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but sometimes I just feel like I'm out of breath and I absolutely am doing nothing. I'm literally sitting down. I put that down to a little bit of my own anxiety. So I've been practicing a little bit of self-care over the past couple of weeks, practicing a hell of a lot of running and a lot of fitness. But a big thing that's been a breakthrough for me over the last few months, I guess, has certainly been what I'm putting into my body in terms of fuel, food and stuff like that. So yeah, very interesting. Thought I wanted to share it with you guys in case you can relate to that. There is no worse a feeling than having some anxiety and panic uh, and the thoughts that that can spiral into. I'm not saying I know exactly how everyone feels, but I certainly uh, have my own battles with it from time to time. And it's certainly been a trying few weeks, that's for sure. But I'm, I'm doing all the right things to get back on top of it. So I just want to let you guys know that if you are struggling in anything right now in life, whether it's your own mental health, your own physical health or anything in life, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Talking about definitely helps release a little bit of pressure and a little bit of that burden that you're probably carrying around with you. But without further ado, guys, I want to welcome our next guest onto the podcast. He's an absolute legend. I was introduced to him by a friend of mine, Greg, uh, who was also on the podcast last year. And we're also welcoming an, another Greg onto the show. His name is Greg Champion. I'm truly fascinated by this guy. He's been in recovery now for over 25 years. He's a, a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Uh, having turned some of his troubles and tragedies into triumphs or what he likes to call turning addictions into passions and him alongside a couple of other people have started up an amazing organization called Startup Recovery. It's basically a, a luxury sober living retreat out here in Malibu in California but it goes a lot deeper than that. He actually created what he calls the recovery playbook. Now this is what really drew me in about what he's up to because it's not your 12-step Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. It's basically his own way of approaching, I guess, challenges in life. I'm going to get Greg to actually run me through with one of those plays in this episode. So hopefully you guys can listen in and maybe you can try and apply that into your own life somehow. 
But this guy is brains. He's got a wealth of, of knowledge and experience, both lived experience and, and on the clinical side, who surrounds himself with outstanding individuals. I'm going to learn a lot from him today, as I'm sure you guys are. So let's just get him on the podcast. Let's talk about his journey, how he landed in rehabilitation, so to speak, and, and how he found himself after years of abusing drugs and alcohol and what that led him to. But without giving too much of it away, let's just get him onto the show. Let's give him a warm, warm welcome and an introduction. Greg Champion, take it away, my man. Greg Champion, legend. Welcome onto the podcast. Welcome onto It Ain't Week to Speak. It's a real pleasure, man, having you on the show this morning. It's great to be here, Sam. I love your mission statement with living, and I definitely love your tagline, It Ain't Too Weak to Speak. Both are just monikers on how to live your life. I appreciate that, Greg. And, you know, just to give a little bit of background to our audience and uh, how we met, it would have been a couple of years ago, I was invited up to one of your uh, recovery retreats or your transformational retreats up in Malibu or the Pacific Palisades. I would have liked to have spent a lot, lot, lot more time there, but I didn't get that opportunity, mate. But what a wonderful project you guys are undertaking out there. We talk about people going through their own traumas to start something great, and sometimes it takes heartache and losses and their own you know, really bad trauma to find things in their life that they want to do for the greater good. Where did it all start for you, man? For me, it was really when I was four and a half years old. My father was killed in a drunk-on-drunk car crash. And so imagine being a little four and a half year old boy getting woken up and your mom sitting at your bedside telling you your father's not coming home. And I'll tell you, I immediately felt different. And I think that anybody who's going through some sort of childhood trauma, drama or pain feels different. And then what we do is we try to hide that differentness. We try to push it down. And for me, I didn't have a father. And so I was being raised by a single mom. And what came up for me was three things. One is well, I better show these people, these other students and my peers, I can be on the same level as them. And so here I did three things. One is I really excelled in the classroom. I got great grades. Number two, I was a pretty good athlete. I was the fastest kid in my class. So you know, as well as I do it, and no matter what the sport is, the fastest kid usually gets picked first or second. And then the last one, you know, I still have some shame around was I, I ended up being a bully. Sam, and I used violence to show you that I was your equal. You used to be a bully at school growing up. Yeah. I'm interested about this because I don't often speak about this on the podcast, and I want to stop you right there. So how old were you at this stage when you started to be a bully? You know, you started using aggression and force. Five, six, seven. And why? What was underlying that? It was not feeling equal to my mates, and so I would pick on the rich kid who had more money than I did. I may pick on the kid who's more popular than me. Anything that I was insecure about, I would want to force myself upon them in a way. And it was very quick. It was like this. And I can remember like we were playing a football game and I had a brand new shirt. And here I am on the playground and this kid goes to tackle me and he pulls my shirt and rips my shirt. And I had such pride around that because my mom didn't make much money that I ended up just jumping on the kid. And really, you know, doing some damage on him just because he ripped my shirt. It happened like this. And again, I had no tools. I had no release. And for a five, six, seven-year-old, it was my way to deal with the pain. It was my way to deal with the pain. What you're saying is, and what I'm hearing you say is, you know, utilizing your own force and your own ways of being aggressive to try and show others that you're superior or you're equal then was your way of feeling good about not only yourself, but dealing with that past pain. Is that correct? Am I hearing that correct? Yep. Yes. And when did this stop for you? When did that part of that journey stop for you? When did you realize that shit, I've got to deal with my own stuff. I can't be doing this to other people. What was that like? It was when I was 12 or 13 and I found the secret 
of drugs and alcohol. I found that if I drank, if I smoked pot, suddenly all that negative energy that I was putting out there was gone. And that really transferred it from violence to just checking out, medicating. But also here's the other thing. My grades went down. You know, no longer was I a straight A student. My focus on the athletic field went down. So I, I definitely moved those things that would have been good for me into the drug and alcohol world as well. You know, I remember growing up at school, witnessing people being bullied and that whole situation. And at that age, obviously it's not nice. It doesn't feel good. And it can go on into other people's lives as they grow up and really change the way that they operate and live for the better or for the worse, right? It's such a cruel thing to do. And it's like, why would you pick on someone for not looking the part or not playing the part or not doing what you'd like them to do? And in the moment, you think it's cruel. But now I've grown up, I understand that a lot of that has its own issues behind that surface. They're probably struggling with their own demons too. And this is how they're coping with it. Without knowing that, I used to look back and think, if you're a fucking bully, you're an idiot. Can you talk to me more on that? Because I'm interested. You know the old, the meme you see on Instagram that says, hey, be kind, you have no idea what people are going through? Growing up in America in the 70s and 80s, you had no idea what people were going through. You had no idea what was going on behind closed doors. And certainly as an eight-year-old little boy, I couldn't raise my hand and tell my mom what was going on. There was no child therapy back then. And really, there was no story. So what I want to say to you is when I sit down, my 10-year-old little girl and my eight-year-old girl, and we start talking about, let's just say, other families in the community, and there's one or two kids that are off, I tell them there's something going on at home that's not right. There's something going on. They don't mean it. There's a much bigger thing. And for them to take that in as an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old, that's the gift of what happened to me is they don't have to repeat the same thing because my two girls are the farthest things from being bullies because we're looking at them, we're talking to them as adults and going, here's the information. Now you have it, use it. So now you can be kind to that person who's basically throwing punches or dominating because there's something not right at home, you know? So you hit it right on the head, Sam. It's exactly where we're at. Thanks for qualifying and for validating that for me and for everyone that's listening in right now. I feel like this is a pretty strong topic. There's a lot of stigma associated with it because people don't like to admit that they've been bullied because they think that they're weak and they didn't know how to stand up for themselves. You know, there's so many different perspectives on this topic, which we could talk about for a long time. But you're talking to me earlier about, you know, the drug abuse that silenced this stuff out and that your grade sort of went downhill. How bad did that get for you, man? How bad did the drinking and the drugs get for you? I definitely was drinking and using drugs around 12 or 13. I grew up in San Diego, which is right next to Tijuana. And Sam, for a lot of kids growing up in Southern California, we would sneak across the border with fake IDs that told everybody we were 18, you know? And so imagine being a 15-year-old lad going across there and you pretend you're an adult. Man, that's dangerous down there anyway, even today. Oh, totally. We had no idea. We had no idea. We just thought, oh, there's tequila poppers and there's Corona beers and there's pretty girls and there's, you know, disco on the radio. And we thought we were adults and we're 15 year old babies. That was the vicious wheel I was on as a teenager. I went to a pretty popular college university here in the States known as Arizona State University. And Arizona State in the 80s and 90s was considered one of the top party schools in the country. That's why I went there because I was gonna be amongst my people. I drank a lot, I used cocaine, I tried acid, I did uh, mushrooms. Really the scary part that when I got out of school and on my graduation night, I got my first DUI. And that was at 22 years old and I proceeded to get arrested seven other times over the next couple of years. 
and I got arrested for another DUI. I got arrested for assault. I got arrested for driving with a suspended license. I even got arrested twice with our friend Greg DeSherry in New Orleans. And I went down there for Mardi Gras and I see this big Irish cop. And before the festivities can begin, I go up to him and I go, hey, what can I actually get in trouble for? I need to know the rules. He goes, don't piss in my streets and don't fight in my streets. So Sam, what two things did I get arrested for? Pissing in the streets and fighting in the streets. And that's the disease of alcoholism and addiction. Because when I'm drunk and high, Sam, I'm an animal. All the consequences and all the rules go out, okay? And suddenly, I don't care what people think. It's a self-centered disease. You're living in Greg Champion's world. And what Greg Champion does is he thinks he's having fun. But really what he's having is having fun, then fun with problems, and then just problems. And so what ended up happening is, and this is my, my downfall, is that I had a job in a TV station. I was working overnight. So I was working from 6 p.m. to 3 a.m. And I didn't have much social life because who goes out at 3 a.m.? Well, Sam, I think we've all had friends at some point that go out at 3 a.m. And I found those friends. I call them lower companions. And lo and behold, one of them suggested, hey, you went to a big college. Do you know people on the East Coast? I said, yeah. Well, how about we start shipping them marijuana to the East Coast? And so I said, well, what's that look like? And he said, okay, the pound of pot equals this on the West Coast, and it equals this on the East Coast. And you can just see how much money you're going to make as it flew over the, the lower 48, if you know what I mean. And so here I was, a good kid from a private high school, college degree, good parents, and I became a drug dealer. All of a sudden, here I am once again in shame around this. And so what happened was every time I flew large amounts of marijuana from the West Coast to the East Coast, I would have to drink six double cranberry and vodkas. I'd have to do a couple lines of Coke. I'd have to smoke a bunch of pot on the way home. And I just medicated myself because I could not believe I was sitting in that chair doing what I was doing when I was really groomed to do something really good in the world. But the thing about me, Sam, and a lot about addicts and alcoholics is I love shortcuts. I want a shortcut. Is that what got you to that stage in your life, like to doing it? Because it was a shortcut. It sounded great and the financial return looked good. There you go. Right there. My daytime job at the TV station, I made $19,000 a year. I made three or four times that on each time I would run marijuana to the East Coast. So I, you could see where I was like, my priorities were. I used to like shortcuts when I was a kid. I would, I would go to detention and they would say, Greg, I need you to write, I will not talk in class 200 times. And Sam, the way I would write on that piece of paper is, I, 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 will, 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 no, 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 talk in class. I was just doing the exercise, but I wasn't getting the message. I will not talk in class. And so many of us want the shortcuts. We want the house. We want the wife. We want the nice cars, but we're not willing to actually go do the work. We want to graduate and go right to the boardroom. And that was my story. And so what ended up happening was I get arrested with 50 pounds of pot. 50? 50, five zero. Oh, one more. Two suitcases. And I get in front of the judge and he says, you're a good kid. What happened? And I utter these three words that a lot of addicts utter. I don't know. Because when I'm in my shame and when I'm in my disease and when I'm in my fog of addiction, I don't know what's going on. And here's what he says. He goes, here's what I do know, Mr. Champion. If I see you in my courtroom in the next six months, I'm going to give you the five years of prison that are going to hang over your head. Well, 18 days later, I'm back at it again. I'm in my little red sports car. I've drinking two Moosehead beer. I've had two joints. I have a couple bindles of Coke on me. And I go into the party of the year. And Sam, let me tell you what the party of the year looks like for me. All my high school friends, all my college friends have left me by this time. I'm dirt. I'm the scumbag. They know what I'm up to. So I'm going to the party 
to meet new friends. But at the party of the year, it's just a bunch of lower companions. And so within 10 minutes, a gentleman comes up to me and says, hey, do you have any blow on you? Whew. Well, I'm a people pleaser, Sam. And so me and this guy go down the stairs into my little sports car. I pull out my Duran Duran CD case. Don't judge me on my music selection. They were pretty cool in the early 90s. <laughs> and I line out a couple lines. And then um, he says, oh, I got a picture for you. And he puts in San Diego Police Department. And so I got arrested twice in 18 days for major felonies. And what I want to do is just wind this story up to really tell you where the why in the road is. And we're always faced with why is in the road, right? Do we go left or do we go, do we go right? And so that next morning, I woke up in the fetal position, broken, beaten down, facing five years in prison. And in the corner of the room, I hear this voice, Greg, there's a better way. Greg, there's a better way. I pop up, I look, and there's nobody there. It's just a voice. And it says, call your mother. Call your mother. Now, Sam, when you're facing five years in prison, the last person you want to call is your mother. Mm. Okay. And my mom at that time was probably in her early 60s, semi-retired. But I call her and she tells me, Gregory, I want you to go to church. And so that night on a Sunday night, I went to church. I went to Catholic mass. And after the mass, the priest says, hey, is anybody interested in doing confession? We have six priests here, three on this side and three on this side. And I, I went into door number two. And there was this beautiful older man with white hair, laser blue eyes, and, and a white cloak. And he says, son, tell me your sins. And I begin to tell him my sins. I said, you know, when I smoke pot, I show up on Christmas on December 27th. When I drink a lot, I go into bars and I hurt people. When I uh, do a lot of cocaine, I date three women at the same time, and they don't know that. And when I do all three of those, I fly large amounts of marijuana to the East Coast. And he says, stop, son. I said, why? He says, do you think you have a problem with drugs and alcohol? And I said, no. And he goes, you don't. He goes, don't you see that every time you have a sin, drugs and alcohol is involved? Wow. I said, you're the second man in my life to ever say this. And he goes, well, who was the first? And I said, my stepfather. And he goes, what was your stepfather's name? I said, Walt Janicki. Sam, the priest reaches across, grabs my hand and says, I was Walt Janicki's first sponsor. Wow. Now for those who listening, in the 12-step program, we have sponsors and sponsees. And so this priest was also part of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what he said to me next, and I did listen, because I thought to myself, what a God shot. What a God shot. He says, Greg, your sins don't belong in this confessional. They belong four blocks up at the Alano Club, and there happens to be an AA meeting starting at 7.30, and I think you should go. That night was 11-7-1994. That's my sobriety date. I took that priest's word. The next morning, I go to his office. He gave me his phone number and a piece of paper. His name is Father Bill Wilson. Just for your audience, Bill Wilson, not this Bill Wilson, but Bill Wilson is the name of the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. So now I have the confessional Godshot. I have the name Godshot. And so now I go show up in his office and he tells me this. And this is what I tell all my people that I sponsor a mentor. He goes, Greg, I need you to do three things. Don't drink or use no matter what. I need you to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I need you to take boxing lessons. Boxing lessons. He's like, yeah, because when you do the first two, you're going to have so much resentment and anger. You got to put it somewhere. So that's what I tell my sponsees and my mentees is don't drink or use no matter what. Go to 90 meetings in 90 days and do some form of exercise to get the natural dopamines get going. And so that's my story. That's the why in the road. So the jail sentence, that didn't happen. 
No. You got off on that. Yeah. So the priest kept going with me to the to the, uh, the hearings. Yes. And lo and behold, as you walk in with the caller, right, and I'm getting nine months of sobriety and a year of sobriety, right? Suddenly I am a reformed citizen and I've got probation and there you go. Let me ask you this. 11-7-1994, is that the last time you've had a drink? Last time I had a drink. So you haven't used or had drinks or anything since? No drink, no pot. No cocaine, no prescription drugs other than when I had a shoulder oh surgery. God. Yeah. That is quite yeah. the story, man. Quite the journey. What a remarkable comeback from a major, major setback in your life. And that's a famous saying that we hear all the time. But what do you think the fork in the road looked like for you if you didn't take that route? Where do you reckon you could have ended up? Well, they say you end up in jails, institutions, or death. So I think the next stop is probably a tombstone. It sounds like to me, you almost had to experience and make those decisions in your life to get you to a place where you're at right now. Because I feel like if you didn't make those choices then, you wouldn't have known that there was a fork in the road, that you had these choices and that you really had to commit to the new part of Greg Champion and his new life, looking after others and having something higher than himself, having more purpose than what you were doing. Mate, it's a remarkable story, man, and a very risky story. I mean, what you got up to in those days, I mean, times have certainly changed, no doubt about it, but... I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate you sharing that with us. So here you are. I'm really keen to talk to you about the foundation that you started, the startup recovery, the ethos or the mantra behind that. And if you don't mind, I want you to run me through with the recovery playbook because I'm aware that you've got a frame. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast work around it's almost like a 12-step process but you call it the 12 play process or something like that i would actually love you if you don't mind run me through with a play run me through with one of the 12 plays 
so that I can tangibly feel it, understand it, and see how it works, if you don't mind. For sure, for sure. So what happened in this 25-year journey in my recovery along the way is, you know, at the 10-year mark, I learned something. At the 12-year mark, I learned something. At the 15-year mark, and I began jotting some things down, filing some things away that worked for me, that kept me sober. You know, life happens, Sam. Just because you get sober, bullshit doesn't show up on your doorstep. I've been fired sober. I lost my mom to Alzheimer's sober. My 10-year-old little girl had open-heart surgery at 10 months, and my sister committed suicide, and, and I remained sober. And so what happened for me is five years ago, I'm speaking from the podium, and I tell my story of 20-something years sobriety. I have a thriving uh, media business. I teach at USC Entrepreneurship. I mentor a lot of people, a lot of 20-somethings. And this little woman comes up, this beautiful little 70-year-old woman, kind of like a female Yoda comes up and says, you would make a great recovery coach. Okay, what's that? You know, (laughs) and I did some research. And what ended up happening is that she opened up some doors for me to go in and coach people with these two things, recovery and entrepreneurship. That, hey, if you get sober, I'm going to present some entrepreneurial uh, spirit and some resources that then can get you to shift. And so our tagline at Startup Recovery is shifting addiction to passion. And what I want people to do is become addicted to what their passions are. And so when they get sober here at Startup Recovery, we help them get sober through the 12 steps, the sponsor, clinical programs, my coaching. And what we do is we really want people to identify that I'm sober. Now what? And that's where we created the recovery playbook. And so the plays are various. We do the 10 intentions. We do the word of the year. We do the right to write where someone examines um, their life story. You know, we try to get that down on paper. We do the lies we tell ourselves, um, the core character defects. And the play that I want to do with you, Sam, I want to call you handsome Sam for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to grab your cell phone. Okay. And this play is called the digital scrub. Okay. And it came about five years ago. I, I was going through my phone. Someone suggested I call this newcomer and help him out. And his name is Mark. And as I'm looking at Mark's name, right below him is this girl named Marnie. Now, Marnie's the girl who broke my heart 15 years ago. I was in the fetal position, wasn't eating for four days. She did a number on me, as, as you would say, right? And guess what came roaring back? Those feelings. And I'm sitting here going, I'm married with two kids. And that was a lifetime ago. But Marnie, just seeing her name... I got anxiety. And so I go, why is she even in my phone? And so what I did, I deleted her. And then I began going through the phone going, who else is in here? What other business person jerked me around? What other random, like, I always say this, Sam, if you got a girl's name and a location behind it, you might want to get rid of it. So if it's Tiffany Las Vegas or Stephanie Seattle. So what I'm going to ask you as you go through your phone there, Sam, If there's anybody that gives you anxiety or bad feelings or you just don't need them in your life anymore, let's get rid of them. This is called a digital scrub. And what I want you to do is as you see names, maybe tell me, oh, this guy, he screwed me over in a business deal or whatever that is. But the reason why I want you to do this is for two reasons. And I hope your audience will take this on as a tool for them. One is not to have those situations where we have those people in our lives anymore, right? Those anxiety moments. But two, and I know you believe in this, karma. We're carrying these people around with us. I only want to carry around good juju. I only want to carry around good people who have my back and are in my corner. 
And so as you go through it, is there anybody that sticks out that, oh, I got to get rid of that one? <laughs> Mate, I'm just going through my list right now, actually. And half the people that are in here, I haven't heard or spoke to in so many years. It's like, yeah, I wonder if they're just taking up too much space. But again, I mean, I think that's a wonderful way of looking at it. You know, I know one that's somewhat similar to that as well, Greg, you know, pull out your phone and just automatically swipe if you've got an iphone for example and swipe down the letters until you land on someone just like a push it and then you might land on someone you haven't spoken to in a very long time you don't have to be best friends with someone to reach out to them and say how are you are you okay how's life going because out of the blue messages like that could save or change someone's life also so on the flip side i'm gonna ask you this greggy you whip out your little phone there mate okay and you know <laughs> just randomly land on someone that you might have not spoken to for a while and just you know drop a message check in with them all right because i know that that can be a game changer for a lot of people but there are a lot of people here in my phone mate that i could definitely disconnect from and sam you know my partner jeff fan and jeff has a thing he's like hey i'm driving around and if someone pops into my head just out of the blue he's like i'll call him that's the universe telling me to check in on him so we are aligned with you on this karmic check-in, basically. And the guy I'm going to check in with is Michael, who I probably have not seen in five years. He's an entertainment executive out here in LA. Yeah, it'd be good to check in with him. So I'm texting him right now, seeing how he's doing. But I like that. Who are you getting rid of over there? Mate, I'm getting rid of people, just randoms that I haven't spoken to in years. They probably don't really make really red flags in my mind. In the past, if I think about it, they probably haven't served me any positive juju in my life so there's no point having them in here so i certainly respect that and i get that and mate i think a big part of my own journey too and i look back on it now is you are what you surround yourself with and the people that you have in your life what was that word you use? lower companions lower companions these are people that were probably there for a good time and a party and stuff ones that were serving you well in your addiction days raging and all that but they were never probably there for you when you were struggling or they were probably never there for you when you wanted to talk about good things in life. And they probably really didn't help steer you in the right direction, so to speak. So I think a big part of the choices that we make as human beings, because we're social creatures, is that we are or we do end up becoming like the people that we spend most of our time with. So for me, as I've grown up, I also like to think that I would prefer to have a small circle of friends or people that I love and care for so that I know that my circle's safe. It's definitely reinforcing and helping me stay motivated in my work. They serve me well, but I also equally serve them well in their life. For me, that's the key to a really good relationship. I know when I was growing up, when I was young in school, and it was about how many friends you could have, how many people that you wanted to make happy. And it's tiring, it's not sustainable. And at the end of the day, I wish I knew the information that I know now growing up because a lot of the choices that I made too, I wouldn't have made. And a lot of the things that I stressed over, I probably wouldn't have had to stress over twice or three times before they actually happened. You know what I mean? But mate, it's all powerful stuff. And mate, I appreciate you sharing that with us. I think what you're doing with the recovery playbook and the startup recovery is, it's amazing because you're not really a traditional health retreat, so to speak. You're actually a level under and it's cool. And it's like, you're like, encouraging and teaching people entrepreneurship and different ways of thinking about problems that are probably outdated in a traditional sense you know what I mean and I love that and it is all underpinned by science and you know research and evidence and 
I love that you have a combination of all of that in your programs and in your stays up there at the Startup Recovery. I love that. Yeah, to your audience, the recovery playbook is for anyone, Sam. I mean, if you ran through the plays, on the other side of those 12 plays, you would be informed. You would be enriched. You will have done some work on yourself. And so I encourage your audience, if they want to explore the playbook, you know, it's online. It's called the Recovery Playbook dot com backslash get started well mate i've been on there you gave me access to it and i think what you're doing is outstanding i love the one here that probably resonates with myself a lot and a lot of people that probably dial into these podcasts and and the audience that we're dealing with with living in our community the backpack of shame and how to rewire and change that narrative around what you're carrying or the feelings of being stuck and not knowing how to navigate out of that mud so to speak like how do we get out of there in a way that's beneficial to our own growth but also doesn't demolish our relationships and things like that i think it's so important and i love some of the stuff you're doing you know with the digital scrub and i'm looking at it again now and yeah i think what you're doing is outstanding sam the backpack of shame cannot work without what you guys say don't be too weak to speak here's your backpack of shame And you have something happen to you when you're eight when you're 15 16 18 22 right and as long as as you keep hanging, you're going, oh, it gets heavy. It gets heavy. And you got to take it off, open it up, and you got to go, hey, Sam, here's what's going on with me. And then guess what you're going to do? You know what? Me too. Let me ask you this. I had this conversation actually at a party on the weekend. A friend of mine was in a film with Denzel Washington, long story short. There was a couple of people there that hadn't drunk in years and for a number of reasons, which is great. We were having this conversation like really deeply about different perceptions. So for example, if this person wasn't drinking, right, and he decided not to drink, it's almost like the negative perceptions that someone that does drink feels like the people that don't drink have on them. Does that make sense? Like they're judging them or something for drinking or they're judging them for having a good time when really they're not. And that is just a negative stigma that surrounds choices like this. Some people just don't want to do it. They don't need to explain not doing drugs, drinking, doing whatever. They don't need to explain. You don't have to justify yourself. If you decide you don't want to drink anymore or, or you don't want to do the things that you used to do, that's your decision. And I don't think anyone should ever judge that. Although I feel like people still do. And there's a lot of stigma around that. For you, Greg, how have you managed to get through that? Are all the people that you spend your time with, are they just fully sober? Or do you just set your boundaries and your expectations from the start? Like, Talk to me through that piece. So when I first got sober, I was the only 20-something getting sober amongst my friends. Out of all my high school friends, out of all my college friends, I was the only person getting sober. And this is in the early 90s. And so it was difficult because I was being judged. What do you mean you don't drink? Come on, have another. What do you mean you don't drink? And a lot of times I had to let go of those friends. I had to let go of them and just go, okay, let go. And so I had to find new friends. And for me, it really was around my third and fifth year of sobriety where a couple of things happened. The obsession to drink and use left. I was no longer being seduced by drinking or drugs, okay? The other thing that happened for me is I didn't give a fuck anymore. Sobriety has shown me a better way of living, so I kept going down that road. And then I also lived into our moniker, shifting addiction to passion. I didn't need drugs and alcohol, so I was no longer going out on Thursday nights. I was no longer hungover on Saturday mornings. And what I did, Sam, was put that time I used to waste with drugs and alcohol and put it into work. And suddenly my career and my prosperity grew. Does that mean your career and your prosperity Did that become an obsession though? Yes. I became a workaholic. And you know what? At 25 years old, I'm okay with that. You become a workaholic at 25, 26, 27, you will do something great in this world. So God bless you. 
But to your point of the judging, the judging still goes on on both sides. The people who drink look at the people who don't drink and go, why don't you drink? The people who don't drink look at the people who drink. Why do you drink? And I think what happens is as we get out of our 20s and into our 30s and we have more on the line, we realize that drugs and alcohol really need to start to fade away. There is a time for a good time, but also people do medicate. We have an epidemic of moms in this country who check out with Xanax and wine every day at three o'clock in the afternoon. They have nannies raising their kids. And I'm just giving you that's one storyline. And what I think is happening with those women is they're trying to relive their high school and college years, you know, at 47 years old. And guess what? You had kids for a reason. Be present for them. So to your point, and I'm glad you brought this up. Yes, the stigma you're talking about is on both sides. And I just think that happens with maturity. But to your best point, what you talked about, we are who we hang around. I don't hang around knuckleheads anymore. I hang around quality men and quality women who want to do something in this world, who want to change this world and who want to leave a legacy. What's your legacy? So I have three parts of my legacy. Um, One is, remember the girl who broke my heart? Out of that heartbreak came a book I wrote. And I'd always been the kid on the playground going, someday I'm going to write a book. And I'm the kid who actually wrote a book. So part of my legacy is I do have a book that's published. It's in the Library of Congress. Bam, part of my legacy will outlive me. Number two, I have two gorgeous daughters who are straight A students who will go live longer than me, but will do something great in this world. Both of them are are just so focused on doing something. So having children is part of my legacy. And last but not least is what we're doing here at Startup Recovery. This is what Jeff and I had in mind when we started this company four years ago. It's like, hey, if we can bring somebody in and they can go home and get their life back together or get their job back together or, or go back to school and become something great, wow, we've just been part of their legacy. And so that's really the three parts of my legacy are are this book I wrote, my children, and what we've built here at Startup Recovery. I love that, Greg. I love that, man. And I think that's a beautiful way of looking at, you know, your own legacy. And I think everyone's legacy is very different. It's a unique thing to each individual, man. But I love the work that you're doing. I think it's outstanding. And I love hearing where it come from, I think is what this is all about. You know, a lot of trauma. and, And we haven't even really discussed, you know, your sister's passing, but all this stuff builds up. And it builds up and you've been able to maneuver your own mindset in a way that's not only inspiring from the outside being myself, but you've been able to change people's life in the process. And I think that that will always be a legacy. You know, not a lot of people truly do what they love. You know, not a lot of people are truly living right now. And what I mean by that is I feel like sometimes you're not actually living if you're just existing. You know, if you're existing in something that you're generally not that passionate about. But on the flip side to that, it's really hard to find a passion sometimes when you haven't been able to step out of your comfort zone. You're not nurtured and trained in that regard to take those safe steps. And you don't have a great friendship circle around you who would be proud of things like that. I'm a big advocate of just find your passion and explore your purpose. But unfortunately, it's not as easy as that, Greg. It's not as easy as flicking a switch and having a legacy or or flicking a switch and saying, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. For the most part, we all go through shit to be able to come out with something that we really want to focus on for the better. You know, you and I, you've been through your stuff and I've been through my stuff. Your passion has allowed you to set up this great foundation in living, right? And you are an ambassador for recovery. You're an ambassador for mental health. You're an ambassador for suicide awareness. And let's switch out the word passion for joy, okay? And so when I work with people, 
I will say, hey, what, what age do you start drinking and using? They'll say 12 or 13. I said, hey, what did you do for joy before drugs and alcohol? Okay. I played the guitar. I played tennis. I was an artist. You know, I took ballet. And so part of my job is for them to rediscover those gifts. And for me, what I did before drugs and alcohol is I body surfed, I skateboarded, and I drank mint chocolate chip milkshakes from Baskin Robbins. So Sam, here I am at 52. Last weekend, I skateboarded with my girls. A week ago, I was body surfing with them. And last uh, Sunday night, we had mint chocolate chip milkshakes from Baskin Robbins. I can just tell you about my partner, Jeffrey Van. When I first started being with him and working with him on his recovery, he says, I used to play the guitar. This is when he was 12. We went and got him a guitar. And what I can tell you is in the four years, why he's been a very successful entrepreneur, a man in recovery, and really an essential factor in building up startup recovery and the recovery playbook, he's written 91 songs. So again, those songs aren't destined to make him a living, but they give him peace of mind and they give him joy. There you go. There you go. I love that. Great take on it, mate. Great perspective. And I love the way you explain everything, man. I really do. And it's been a real pleasure having a chat to you on a podcast today. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy. Appreciate your journey, man. I really do. And, you know, I'm looking forward to getting uh, getting to know you more, Greg, and uh, helping out where we possibly can with the business and with anything else along the way, mate. If there's anything else that we can share, mate, let's catch up in the near future. Maybe do another podcast and whatnot, mate. But I just want to say a big thank you on behalf of myself and the entire team at Livin'. And everyone that's listening in today, thank you. Yeah. Big love and, and remember, man, it ain't weak to speak. Amen. Love it. Thank you, Sam, for the opportunity. Thanks, Ledge. Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Please like, share, and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well, keep living, and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you, and have a top day. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.